Wow, what truths we just sang. He's provided all that I need. Is that true this morning? I, I know it's true in our, in our minds. We, we grasp that reality, but in living that, how often do we struggle with his sufficiency? You know, we're also saying of how Christ alone is my hope, and yet even as we sang that, I'm convicted, realizing how quickly my confidences and hopes and desires are shifted off of him. And quickly after that comes fear and doubt and conflict to try and secure what we can't. I'd ask you to turn this morning to 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 18 this morning. It certainly is great to be able to spend this time with all of you brave souls. And certainly glad for those that are joining online. But as we look at this passage, um, I just got to be honest with you. It wasn't what I was originally thinking quite some time ago, looking ahead at this day and having a plan in mind, being asked, you know, what does family ministries look like for 2024? I was drawn to this, this passage as Peter, at the end of his life, shares with us this encouraging word to warn us about our direction, and at the end of it, calls us to grow in grace and truth. And I realized in reflecting over everything in 2023 and really just giving God the glory, so much has happened with family ministry, so much has happened here at First Baptist has been really encouraging. And looking ahead, it was was really just settling my heart and the reality that we need to just grow in this and the direction that God has already placed us. So many great things, life groups, equip, Sunday school class, so many opportunities to participate in investing in lives opportunities to reach those around us. And my prayer was that God would do a great work in 2024, rooting us in these foundations that have already been laid. Families would be encouraged, that people would be strengthened, that God, by his mercy, might redeem some of those that we've been praying for, sometimes for years. The truth is, as I was drawn to this, I realized there are some things here in this passage that challenged even my own heart. And so as we read that this morning, I'd ask you to follow along, starting in verse 14. We'll jump into this and just trying to be mindful of the time. As you have those notes in front of you, you realize there's a lot of blanks and there's a lot of passages. And just to warn you in advance, you don't have to keep up with all of the different passages. I'm going to be jumping ahead, but you have the notes there so you can go back. I encourage you to do that. But starting in verse 14, we see 2 Peter chapter 3, as he writes, at the end of it all, he says, Therefore, having all this already discussed, Beloved, since you are waiting for these, these things in the end, this revelation of Christ, the resetting of a righteous world instead of this evil, wicked world, be diligent. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Notice, not impossible, hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Listen, there is so much here. And even as you start to plumb a couple of these minor points in some depth at all, you realize we have not enough time to look at them all. But as we look at this growing in grace and truth, as we think about what Peter had left for us even at the end of his life, We have to just take a moment and deal with it the best we can and ask the Lord to work in our hearts through it. So let's do that even as we open in prayer. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we we come before you as a needy people. Truly, you have redeemed us through your Son as we come to you through him, through, through his finished work on the cross, and we are alive, having been dead in our trespasses and sin, and we are now able to know you, He's seeing spiritually discerned and not of our own mind. 
But Lord, we're still needy. And we come to you and ask you to do a work in our hearts and lives that, that we may better understand even what it means to grow in grace and in truth and in knowledge of you. That your spirit would apply these words to our hearts and lives, that you'd prick our souls as we look to you now, asking you to direct us, encourage us, and strengthen us as we, as we ask you to complete this work even today a little bit more in our lives. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Now, as we look at all of this, uh, the reality, you know, this growing in grace and truth, you know, it makes very clear that we're not where we need to be. We need to be growing. I hope and pray each of you have a sense of that growth. And if not, you have a sense of what stands between you and that growth by the work of the Spirit in your life. But we ask this to take a moment and look at what setting this really is. This is Peter, the end of his life. And I just wonder, if, if you were to look to those around you, if this was your last day or fleeting days ahead you knew were sure, what would you share with those that you cared about? What we have here is the culmination of Peter's spiritual growth, of the burden that God placed on his soul for those that he cared about, those that had received this same precious faith as his own. And so these are sobering words as we look to them this morning. And I got to say, just looking at the last bit, I, I was reading through First and Second Peter over and over and over again. I'm going to encourage you, please do that. Please take the time, maybe even this afternoon, and just read. It doesn't actually take too long. And what Peter says in First Peter, notice the difference in tone even as he gets to Second Peter and, and the significance he places on warning us about who we follow and what we believe and, and reminding us of those things that are so important to live by. And so this morning, as I took a step back, it, it really shifted away from my original intentions months ago, looking at what this growing in grace and truth really looks like, because I, I was impacted by Peter's heart. And if you look at the whole of the book, you realize he's passionate about this. And when he gets to the end of it and he says, listen, but instead of being drawn aside by these things that would deceive you, instead of being careless in how you live your days, be careful, and in all, grow in the grace of God. Grow in the knowledge of Him. And so I know it's a little bit easy to get twisted on the tongue, but the best way I can sum this up is the end of his book, is he's looking at it all. He says, the divine perspectives define my joyful expectation. He wasn't defeated victim, knowing he'd go to his death. He was confident in his Lord and he would have us be the same, joyfully looking ahead to what he even reminds us in this book. Remind me of, I, I'm not sure if you saw this on social media, of, of young Hayden. 2017, meet you at the poll day in September down in Florida. He was the only one who showed up. The young 15-year-old man who got there a little early, stood there and began to pray as was the date and the appointment and the plan. And he realized, while he had originally started to just pray until someone showed up, after a little while, realized maybe no one was coming. Someone drove by and saw him, as you can see there, and I'll tell you what, it's a moving picture as you look at his shoulders. You look at the conviction that he must have to stay planted there. Listen, how many of us would have stayed there after we realized no one was coming? All right, I showed up. I'm out of here. But instead, he stood. And in his own words to his mother, he, he said that he was asking God to somehow use him when he realized no one else was coming. Prick their hearts, he said. God, would you use me somehow to do a work in their life would you somehow do a work in this school, in this community? After he was done, time was elapsed, he went back to school and carried out his day. Someone had drove, driven by and seen him there and was so moved by this picture, they took a picture of him, put it on social media and said, wow, look at this young man standing alone for what he believes. It's interesting, a little while later in the day before school got out, his mother was actually informed, hey, is this your son? And she looked it up, and she couldn't believe her eyes as she saw her son standing there alone in front of that pole. 
he got home that day and realized that God had answered his prayers because there were so many responses on social media, even those that don't love the Lord, saying, wow, look at somebody stand for something. It's nice to see. But if you think about the courage it took for this 15-year-old boy to stand there that day all alone, the faith and determination he would have had to stand there despite the shame, you can see it in his shoulders and his posture. What's going to happen next? All alone. You know, the reason why I bring this up is because we can talk about these wonderful things 2023 had in family ministries and amongst us, but the truth is there was a lot of hard times this year. Some of us had one of the hardest years ever. 2024, we don't know what lay ahead. It's not going to be pretty. There's all sorts of things going on, but God has this. And the same confidence that he had standing at this pole, even if he was alone, is the kind of call and the kind of confidence that Peter is calling us to in this book. It's the kind of confidence he's calling us to as he says, listen, you need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord. If we know these things to be, what kind of people ought we to be? You know, the truth is, Hayden shouldn't have been alone at that pole. He wasn't expecting to be alone. There were others that were supposed to be there. And as I look at this, I realize, again, we could spend a lot of time, we're not, just very briefly, a lot of us, maybe we had to take a stand like Hayden in our lives this past year. Maybe you felt alone as you stood there at work, in your marriage, in your family, in your parenting, in your grandparenting, in all the aspects of our life, and you had to make a choice, and you chose to stand, and you just trusted God, he would do the difference. He would make the difference, even though we couldn't see it in the moment. If that's true, listen, Peter is saying, stand with me and have your hope fully placed in the coming of our Lord, and no, it's not for nothing. You get to find out later how God worked. I know he did. At least it was that afternoon when he came home. Maybe some of us are still waiting. You know, it's tough to stand alone. In the coming year, it may be that we as a church have to stand alone in some things. But we're together in it. I hope we'll stand together. It's tough to stand in the face of ridicule. You know, even this year, I'm confident there were some of you that probably laughed at and ridiculed and joked about because you're a believer, because you're willing to be a believer publicly. I also want to ask about those that didn't show up this day with Hayden and how many of us maybe have fit that. In that moment as the Spirit pressed our heart, as the Lord was at work through our knowledge of Scripture, we knew what we should do and we, we didn't. The cost is too great the loss if we were to stand too much in the moment. And not to make any of you all feel too bad if we're honest, we've all been there at some point. That's why he's talking about growing in this, reminding us in this. You know, it's so great to know that God's at work in it all. As we stand for his glory, as we think about the, the big picture all that he's doing even through our lives, we can have joy. What manner of people should we be is one of the big questions that Paul puts in this. If we know all this to be, if all of this world is to be dissolved, what kind of people? And that's not just a question, that's an exclamation. We know this. We should be so much different than often our own tendencies before that growth and that knowledge starts taking root and our hearts in life. And that's really Peter's purpose here. So as we look at Peter's purpose in 2 Peter as a whole, it's very clear. Then of his life, what he wants to impart to us first, as we see in verses 12 and 15 of chapter 1, is to stir up. And this is really an interesting word. It's talking about the getting the movement, that which is sedentary. Instead of the Sea of Galilee, as it was blown about by the heavy winds and storms, it was stirred up. All the sediment was, was lifted up into all the different layers of the water table. You know, we need this. In verse 12, he says, I intend always to remind you. 
What we know, what we know to be true, and it's always about the truth, the truth, the truth. I think it right as long as I am in this body. Think about this, this purpose he has. As long as I have breath in my lungs, I want to remind you of the truth, and I want to stir you up. You know, there's, there's the reality that we need to be stirred up. We need to be reminded of the truth. We need someone to come alongside of us and say, listen, wake up. That's that idea of stirring up mentally. Wake up. This isn't all there is. Listen, they laughed at Christ on the cross saying, look at him. He saved others. He can't save himself. Come down from there. Christ was a victor on that cross even as he was crushed in our place. Know that that is not the end. Remember that this world is just passing by and all the opinions and all the people that you're trying to please are nothing compared to seeing his pleasure. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. What's our dying wish? What's our greatest hope? You know, we sing these songs, but I'll tell you right now, the battles in our heart and life as we're seeking for that security and that experience that is good and that best life now kind of road is what challenges where our allegiances lie. Peter's saying, don't live directed by the patterns of this temporal flesh that's so fleeting. Don't live chained to the things of this world. Remember the big picture. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, he says, This now is the second letter I'm writing to you. And in both of them, I'm stirring you up in a sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the prophets and commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. And in all of this, he wants to see us grow. Because he knows we're not there yet. Listen, we see in Peter's life, certainly he, he had his failures. And at the end of it, he saw the work of God's grace in his life. As he was reminded of these things that he knew to be true and was corrected and directed to the greatness of serving the Lord singularly above all else. Realizing that pleasing men was so hollow of course, in chapter 1, verse 2, he opens up with this. And we get so accustomed to running over these introductions and closing comments. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. May you grow in grace and the knowledge of God to end and beginning. But he really, he really believes this, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but the, the way he phrases this. You see, what got me when I came to this passage and realized my plans had to be a little different was when I realized he closes his book in chapter 3, verse 18 with a command. You know, we get so used to these trite little grace be to you, grace be to you. Closings. But the end of Peter's book, he's saying, listen, I'm not just saying may God's favor be on your life. He's saying you grow in it. Grow in the grace and knowledge of God. This was his heart's cry for us. And let me tell you, as I dug into this, I realized what a joy it is to have this an object as much as a metric in our own Christian walk. But let me ask this question. If he's commanding me to grow in grace, I mean, I can get the grow in knowledge. I tell you what, every time I open this book, I learn. I hope and pray you're in this book and that you're learning as well. But this growing in grace is a theological issue. Can I have more grace? Can I be more saved? Can I have more of the Holy Spirit? You know, as, as Paul was told, he prayed to God, would you take this from me? Maybe you've asked God to take things from you. And God responded to him, my grace is sufficient. Do you feel like God's grace is sufficient? Wait a minute, if God's grace is sufficient... How am I supposed to grow in grace? Do you, do you see the problem here? And I realize this word grace is so much bigger 
Then what was first on, on my mind, it's really charis, and it has a r- wide range of meanings. In fact, if you look through the New Testament from some of the very first verses to the very last chapters, this word shows up. It's primarily a secular word. It was used in a more theological meaning by the New Testament writers, and, and I think it's because of this we struggle with its definition. What was so great to find is, is not just the best working definition we could have would be unmerited favor. But as you dig into this, realizing that the root of it is actually what delights. Which is why when you greet somebody, you're like, hello, you know, good to see you. Or goodbye, you know, may you have a good day. Or the gift of grace, as we see in the many uses we're going to look at in a minute. But the root, the heart of this word that's used in so many various ways is this idea of giving what delights, what causes delight. The heart of this word is actually joy. New Testament writers focused on the fact that this comes from the giver, not the receiver, and so much of our definitions of grace in the theological realm come from this reality because it's all about us all the time and we have to be reminded, no, it's of God, no, it's of God, no, it's of God, but we strip out the reality that it's also to bless for your good rooted in joy it's crazy and as you see this listen we do not have the time to look at this through the whole new testament let me tell you i was blown away as i dug into it on the back of your notes you'll just see there in peter what he talks about in regards to grace and the different ways it shows up over and over and over again to mary the angel came and says charis You have found carrots. You have found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is a gift to you to be the mother of the Savior. Don't forget, she watched that boy that she cherished as a mother. Only she would have this connection die on that cross and her heart was pierced through. How could a grace come with such sorrow? No, she was well favored of God. Grace given to her for this. And at the end, the joy of even that sorrow was made a hundred times greater. Because the grave did not hold him. This unmerited favor, reality of grace is huge. So let's look at grace just very quickly. I'm going to lay the table here before we jump into these commands at the end of 2 Peter. I'm going to be very clear what we're saying grace is. Paul is very clear that grace is the foundation for the gospel. You have no part in it. Very clear, over and over and over again. A writer a long time ago said, the only thing we bring to our salvation is our sin. It's true. It's all of grace. We need to be reminded of that. And here even Peter references that in his first epistle in chapter 1, verse 10. He says, concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours inquired and searched carefully. So you see very clearly this reminder that grace over and over and over again. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the God, but are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Over and over again. Those, Romans 5, 17, who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. What Paul is doing over and over here is reminding us is that your salvation is of God. It's his favor. It's his action. It's his doing. What's interesting is because God chose to, listen, Old Testament is this really crazy word called chesed. Covenant, unconditional love. It's so deep and so broad and so incredible a definition we don't have the english words to describe all the aspects of what hesed means and that long standing patient love of god and mercy grace is like that because with this work of grace is gospel all of him and not of us in the greek is tied joy rejoice god has done this work in you through salvation God is doing this for you. It's not something you earn. But we also see that grace is enablement. 
What do we mean by that? And this is where we come back to Paul's comments about his grace being sufficient. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he pleaded, God, three times would you take this from me? And his response was, my grace is sufficient for you. You see, God was working through this, this this struggle that he was having was keeping him close to God. Did you know that was a work of grace? You know, these weaknesses and these aspects in our own life that keep us close to the Savior, it's a work of grace. See, again, back to we want to be all we need to be on our own. With good intentions, Lord, that I may be faithful. Lord, that I would honor you in all that I do. But also, Lord, that I, Lord, that I, Lord, that I. And you know, God humbles us and keeps us close and says, listen, this is a part of my grace. I'll sustain you. I'll keep you close. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And notice what Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Therefore, I'll boast. I'll have joy even more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ, that his grace working through me may rest upon me. I added a couple words there, but that's his, that's his thought for sure. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, Peter talks about the testing and the genuineness of your faith. And the reality is, is that through this testing, through these trials really of grace, it demonstrates and shows to the praise of his glory the true reality of your faith in him. Why is that? Because he did it. He gets the glory because he's the one working it all for him. So there's aspects of grace that are very deep. And again, we don't have the time to plumb the depths of this. But as we look at this idea of grace, grace and knowledge as goodness that effectuates joy, that's really the heart of the word itself. That which effectuates joy. I grow in that. I don't grow in my salvation. God says his grace is sufficient. That's true. Peter says, I've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. Paul in Ephesians says, I've been given all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. At the same time though, I don't live it out. I don't have this experience of this manifold grace in my life. Peter calls us to that. Not that we're made any better, but our rooted in reality gets deeper. Our experience of the joy gets fuller. That's why you look at that kid standing in front of that pole. Was he a victim of abandonment? Or is he a victor in Christ standing there saying, God, do something great with this? Comes back to what we said originally. Divine perspectives. Who's in control? What's the end of it all? And as we grow in our knowledge of that, and as we follow this path, Philippians chapter 4, rejoicing in the Lord always. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 For all of our sakes, this grace extends more and more that people may in it increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God. Because He is great. Because grace effectuates joy because He's the author of good. The author of good in it all. 1 Peter chapter 1. Prepare your minds for action. Being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace of that will be brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4, as each one of you have received a gift. And this is interesting. Do you guys rejoice when you get a gift? You say, well, most of the time we just had Christmas. I had to to smile when I got one of those gifts. No, it's a gift. It's a great gift. It's the best gifts. It's good gifts. We rejoice when we realize what he's done for us. And he says, listen, as each one of you has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Let me tell you, this is another step. As you take what God has given to you and you serve others, there's such joy in that. Would you experience that if you weren't serving in those areas? Listen, this is grace upon grace. This is growing in grace, not because we don't have enough of it, but because we're actually walking it out. 1 Peter chapter 4. He gets into some tough things. 
He says, you can rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. See, one of the realities of this joy and grace connection is that sometimes we're at the pole and we're not at home yet. You see, that wasn't very happy, I'm sure, times for Hayden at that pole. But he found out the answer to his very prayer was accomplished by the God of the universe when he got home and realized, wow, praise God. I trusted him for this. And he did something great. Sometimes we're waiting for that glory to be revealed. 1 Peter chapter 5. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Is there joy to being humbled? Jesus says, come, take my yoke upon you. Come and learn from me. I'm meek and mild. My burden is light. You know, when you get into the yoke with Christ as a servant, being humbled, you find joy. It's tough, but you find joy in new levels of this expression of grace as we follow him in this path of discipleship. You know, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he actually says to slaves that it's a gracious thing. It's a gifting. It's a joy. It's a blessing. It's a gracious thing. When, think about this, when, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. In order to debate in the Roman world, a slave could even be treated unjustly if they're just not even a person. There's no injustice that would be done to them. He's saying, absolutely. Everyone is the same before God, but listen, it's a gracious thing to suffer. Really? When mindful of God, why? Because he's the one in control of good, all of it. He's the one who blesses in all of it. And even as we share in the sufferings of Christ, we find, we find fellowship with him in unique ways. Now, the truth is, John chapter 1, John chapter 1 talks about this grace upon grace, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And I was reminded of the many different statements Jesus said even in the last bit of his life, Chapter 14, he says, peace I leave with you, not as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. He gives us this peace as we walk with him. John 15, these things I've spoken to you that you may have joy and that your joy may be full. Grace upon grace. And so as I came back and looked at all of this, What is this command that Peter is saying at the end of his book? I can't grow in my salvation. I don't grow in my possession of these things, but I definitely do grow in my experience of joy walking out the truth. As I follow this path of discipleship and I find him to be and experience the thing that I know him to be in my mind and in these words in this book, growing in grace, even as that flows from my life into those around me. Always of the truth. And so I was humbled. I was humbled even as I had my original outline for this passage because it's actually very straightforward. Verses 14 through 18, he's got a number of commands. And these are the calls to action. After he talks about his purpose, listen, I need to remind you, I need to stir you up, I need to get you up. Listen. This is what God says. This is what lay ahead. What manner of people ought we to be? And don't let anyone tell you it's not going to happen. Don't let anyone mock you and ridicule you as if you're waiting for nobody. He is coming. We stand before him and trust me, it's a wonderful thing. There's these commands. Certainly we know he calls us to be diligent. In light of all of these things, when you know that he is coming, when you know that you have been redeemed, when you know you have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness, and these aren't just made up fairy tales and fables, but we beheld his glory and we saw him, and this was confirmed 
even by the prophecies hundreds and hundreds of years before any of us came. Be found, verse 14. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. I hope we're at peace, certainly one another with the Lord. But it's an interesting statement here. We will be found at his coming. We'll be found, there's no doubt. The question here is how? What? What's our focus in that moment of finding? Not that he's lost us, but when we have run out of when we've run out of time and God says this is it. In 2 Peter chapter 3, we're just going to skip through here very quickly. If we know that all things thus are to be dissolved, what, ought, what kind of people ought we to be? Well, chapter 1, he talks about this. He's given to us everything that we need for life and godliness and the knowledge of him. It's always through the knowledge of him. So that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature. This is through salvation. We have escaped this corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. And he goes on to talk about this. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. This is doing what is right. You believe in God. You following Christ. Then do what is right. And as you do what is right, you grow in knowledge and in many different ways. Not just in study, but also in experiencing this to be true. And with knowledge, self-control, these are very similar to the fruits of the Spirit, by the way, if you were to look at Galatians chapter 5. And with self-control, steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. And these are all tied together. Be diligent to be found in Him as He has called us to walk and live. And if you think about Hayden at that pole, what kind of perseverance, what kind of faith, what kind of discipline... And even with his prayer, what kind of love he had. Be very careful to be found. Be diligent to be found as God has called us to be. He says, you will not be ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord. Do you have concerns spiritually where you are with the Lord? He says here, as you walk this out, you believe do what's right. Grow in your knowledge. Love others. Do what you have been called to do and you will know that you are right with him. You will see his work through your life and you will know even more what lay ahead surely for you. And if we're not, you know, we're going to be we're going to be struggling. Those who lack these qualities are so nearsighted and blind, you've forgotten that you've been cleansed from your former sins. You've forgotten what God has done for you. You don't have that assurity. So the first thing he says, be diligent. I hope we're diligent. I hope we're diligent to continue to grow as God has called us and the Spirit moves and convicts our hearts to follow that we be quick to do so. But it also requires us to be determined. You know, he doesn't live in a fairy tale world. Roman emperors ruled and reigned, and if you weren't a citizen, you had no rights. They could string you up any time, nail you to a cross, do whatever. These were hard times. Peter knew he was going to be a martyr. He lived in a hard world where there was many things that were wrong, and they were suffering and suffering for Christ. And he said, listen, even if they are mocking you while they drive past the pole and you're standing there, understand He's coming. There's a purpose. And this purpose includes you and me. Because, as he says in verse 15 through 17 of chapter 3, even though these things are hard to understand, we need to count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Don't overlook this fact, verses 8 and 9, that he's returning. He's not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. There's a purpose for this time. We have to be resolute. We have to be determined to be what he has called us to be, even in the face of adversity. So thankful for what God has done for us. If he came 100 years ago, where would we be? 
And as he called faithful men that impacted our lives, we're called to be faithful to impact others. Determined, counting his patience as salvation means that we are looking to be a witness. Our lives are growing in a testimony. We're looking to minister. There's a purpose for this. You know, back to Hayden at that pole. There's a moment in time that we can stand and we pray that God would use it and we know that he's got a purpose for it. Being very careful of the truth. Being dogmatic. And I, I apologize, I did make them all D's. I stuck with that part of the plan anyways. But being dogmatic. Because one of the biggest sections, the whole of chapter 2 in this book, is, is dedicated to warning don't be led astray by those that really are using the truth and using this idea of Christ to gain from you something, to profit off of you. Be careful of the word because there are those that will they'll take advantage of you. Verse 15, he continues, there are those things that are hard to understand, but the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own Destruction. Let me be very clear about this. Careful of the truth. You know, sometimes we are the ones deceiving ourselves, looking even to Scripture to confirm what we want from here. This is a warning even to us as we are to look at Scripture in an honest way. Careful of the truth that we would not be led astray. And notice what it goes on to say, that you are not carried away. Take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. You know what he's saying here? This word is our strength. It's our stability, being reminded of the promises, being reminded of the truth. It gives you the ability to stand at that pole. And maybe if left all alone, you know, without a doubt, the truth and you stand in that strength. Chapter 2, verse 1. There will be many false prophets and teachers even among you who secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. Many will follow their ways, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Listen, we need to be so careful to come back to this book. No matter what you read, no matter what you listen to, no matter what you hear, you come back to this book. And we come here to this book and we say, God, would you show us your truth? Would you help us learn reality? Would you guard our path? There are many things there. I'll let you read them on your own. Certainly a lot of references to this because you dedicate so much of the book to this subject but ultimately, we know the purpose, certainly at the end, is directed in growth. I want to ask, are you growing in your walk? Are you growing in your knowledge of Him? Are you growing in the grace of God that brings strength and stability and joy to your heart despite the circumstances? That was Paul's prayer. And this is a command. I said that earlier, but this is a command. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. If you would take a look really quick to uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. Would you turn there with me? So we close this morning. 1 Peter chapter 4. It's amazing how quickly our time goes. So we leave this morning with his words. He says the end of all things is at hand. If that wasn't any more true today, I don't know what is. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. For the sake of your prayers, what's my prayer for us this year? No matter what may happen, that we keep on loving one another earnestly. Sincere love, real love, covers a multitude of sins, showing hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift, using it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 
Whoever speaks is one who speaks to oracle. Whoever serves is one who serves by strength. That God supplies, again, grace upon grace in order that everything God may be glorified through Christ. To Him belongs the glory and the dominion forever. Listen, I, I hope and pray this is us. Determined, dogmatic, diligent, and directed towards growth in everything that we do. I got to ask, are you, are you on the path of discipleship? This is a tough question because so often this whole discipleship, which is following after, learning, becoming, is really just like him on my life and me trying to do my own thing. Am I really following him? Peter's saying, wake up. Follow him. It's great. Worth it. Hard, tough times. But don't miss this time. Are you seeing grace and knowledge of God growing in your life? I hope you are. I pray you are. I hope that's what we're doing together. But what are those next steps, may that God is leading you? What are those next steps the Spirit has been pricking your heart over? What are those things that God is calling you maybe to stand for, you know would be right, but you've been afraid of the cost to do it? We've got to be so careful to learn the word because when we're here, he confronts our heart. He reminds us of the truth. Calls us to be careful of the time. Am I being purposeful with this time that God has given to me? It's fleeting. It's short. It's but a moment. What manner of people ought I to be a part of and doing in this time he's given to us? On mission serving, being a part of that varied grace, let me tell you, it fills your heart with joy. It really does. And strengthens your faith. Would you turn to Ephesians? I know I said one more. One more. One more. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16. Close with this. As I poured over this and poured over this and poured over this, I thought of Hayden standing there alone of what it took for him to be there. How God's grace was at work through him in that moment. How he was strengthened, how he was resolute by disposition and by enablement of God's grace alone. And what he must have believed and how his simple faith of just trusting God for it was seen in just this picture. And realize that so much of what must have taken him to stand there and what I hope and pray each one of us will be willing to do in the various ways, in the various places and situations was really what Paul was calling for and Peter was echoing. And the truth is of my heart towards this church, we've been so blessed to be here. You guys are a blessing to me and my family. Being able to do this together with all of you is a blessing to my heart and soul and it is part of God's grace that brings my heart joy. And I hope yours as well. And as Paul was writing to the Ephesians, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. You guys are a part of God's grace at work in our family and our lives. Remembering you in my prayers. Praying for this ministry. Praying for all of you. Praying for those that don't even know yet that God would be at work in their lives. That the God and of our Father, I'm sorry, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give you the spirit of wisdom. Peter's call to stir you up, to remind you, to know what he has given to us in this time. They'd give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The more we behold him, the more we become like him. The more we see the trueness of his, gift, his gifts and his grace, the more our hearts are filled with joy and stability and confidence. That you would have the eyes of your hearts enlightened as you look at the word, as you hear the word, as you pursue the knowledge of him. That you may know the hope. Peter called us to this. Set your mind fixed on this hope that he's given to us. Don't be discouraged. Don't be deceived. 
this hope to which He's called us? What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe? According to the working of His great might with which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and He seated Him at His right hand in heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but in the one to come, He has put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things the church, which is you, which is me, which is His body, who is the fullness of Him who fills all in all. We can stand at that pole if He calls us to. And this is the time to do that. And I hope and pray we're growing in the knowledge of that as we grow in grace and the knowledge of Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You know we need You. And as things happen in our life, as we have moments like these, as we come before Your Word, we realize more clearly and confess we need You. We need You. We need You. We need you. We're so, gr- so glad. We're so thankful for what you've done for us in redeeming us from our paths of sin and giving us life and blessing us beyond. We have, no, we have no clue how you have blessed us as we see little bits of that bit by bit. We're amazed. I pray for us as a church. I pray for us as yours, as your children, that you would continue to grow us not only in the knowledge of you as we pursue you, Lord, but also in the experience of this great grace as we see it manifold in our life over and over, layer upon layer, and in the lives of others, we just ask that you would get the glory as we get the grace. And so the best way we know how we come before you as your people and just say, please do this. We submit to you, we commit to you, and we look to you in this. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand and join us? We're going to close our service.